Welcome to Focused on Forward. The purpose of this podcast is to focus on recovery from life situations, be it a disease, chronic or acute, perhaps the loss of someone so dear to you in death, or a change of life patterns that has affected you so profoundly that you have no choice but to find your new normal and become focused on moving forward. Each episode is designed to show the positivity that people bring to each and every one of their stories, the successes they've had, ways that they have become so definitively focused on moving forward. We look forward to sharing their stories, and we hope that they inspire you just as much as they have inspired us. Thanks for listening, and enjoy the show. Hello and welcome to Focused on Forward. Today I have the the opportunity and the privilege to sit here and talk with Jamie Sherling, and you're going to have an opportunity to get to know Jamie a little bit over the course of our discussion. I'm excited to talk to Jamie because Jamie is a cancer survivor, and she has a very uh, important story for us, and she has a very uh, good story of, of overcoming and strength and what it takes to become a survivor cancer survivor in this instance. So Jamie, thank you for being here on Focus on Forward. I'm excited to hear your story. Thank you so much for having me, Tim. Honored to be here. Excellent. So whenever you feel comfortable, please uh, include us in your story. Sure. I have many hats that I wear. I am, I'm a mom. I'm a sister. I am a friend, a loyal friend. I'm a drag connoisseur and a cancer survivor. Those are some of the hats that I wear off the top of my head. Multiple hats are always good. Mm-hmm. All right. That's how I've always lived my life. I feel like most people have m- multiple things going on, multiple challenges they're going through. It's rarely just you're moving along, like right. it's just swimming along easily. If, if that's your life, good for you. I, I don't know what that would be, but if that is yours, that's fantastic. Yeah, rarely is it ever just one thing that that defines somebody who they are and what they are. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Okay, so tell us about the point of where you came to know that that cancer was going to be an issue. Now, I've listened to other interviews with you, and I, I understand that cancer kind of runs in the family. Yes. And so maybe take us through that the the how that affected you. Uh, having uh, multiple members of your family have diagnoses. So it was different every time. So when my dad was diagnosed with the blood cancer, it was when I was in high school. And I'll be honest, I was very self-absorbed as many teens might be. No offense to any teens listening to the show, but it, it's a, it's a normal developmental thing that you're, that you're self-absorbed. So I wasn't, quite so worried about my dad and that I was just attending high school, living my life. And they went to treatments. He and my mom, they had to go out of town quite a bit and he survived. Great. So it affected me, but not as deeply as it might have. Well, of course, had he not survived or if treatment had affected him more so than it did. So that was high school. Then fast forward to when I was a young adult, he was in remission. That was scarier in that I wasn't around. I had lived, I lived halfway across the country at that time. Actually, actually, I lived completely across the country because my parents were on one coast and I was on the other when 
he had his relapse and I wanted to do the best I could. I wanted to send good thoughts and my mom asked me to pray for him, but there wasn't really anything for me to do that was very tangible, which can be hard because you want to step in and you want to help. Fast forward less than a year, he survived again. Amazing. We went, we celebrated. I took him to a New York Jets, the New York Jets football team, a game that he had followed when he lived in New York City. When I was, that's where we lived when I was first born and he was a big fan. So went to a game with him. It was great. We celebrated. Fast forward, maybe another from that time, another, I'd say nine years. And my brother was diagnosed with a blood cancer, my brother, Corey. That one was for sure like a real punch in the gut. I think it was just because this is your peer. This is my brother. Not that it was harder than my dad, but I just think it's different. A sibling having a diagnosis versus a parent or child having a diagnosis. I think they're all really different and they, they feel different, I'm sure. And they feel different probably for every person. But this is a brother who we were very close. We talked a lot. We didn't live close to each other. But we talked a lot on the phone. And at the time of his diagnosis, I believe he was 39. So he's so, so young. And I think that threw me as well. And I had, I don't know if it's the right word to say privilege, but I was with him during his first chemotherapy appointment, which terrible to be with him for that reason, but grateful for the time together. So we had time together. I spent time helping him in his job. He owned a cleaning company and I helped him. And then I sat with him and through treatment. And then the following weekend we had went to cheer on another brother running the Boston marathon. And I had that time with him and you have that hopeful feeling for a long time. I think a lot of us in the family thought, well, he'll be fine. You know, dad's fine. So he'll be fine too. And we were going with that assumption, but then he wasn't improving. It was just getting worse and scary and trying to think, can he do and trying to help and can he do a stem cell transplant or can he be in a clinical trial or can he do something and trying to help, but not really being not, you know, not being a researcher myself, I couldn't come up with a cure for cancer for him. And fortunately he passed away. So that was terrible and awful. And it still is. And I miss him. It, it's shocking to me to think that come this, this spring, yeah, come June, June of 22, it will be 10 years since he passed away, which is just makes my head explode to think that it's been so long that it's been 10 years since he's been gone. So, and of course, I mean, yeah, you, you handled, there's the diagnosis and then if someone's okay or not, and then there's someone actually passing away and having him pass away was, yeah, it was terrible. It was awful, as I said. So the idea of me having a cancer diagnosis, I knew it's a possibility. And I think almost everybody knows that it's possible that they might be diagnosed with cancer, but then having it in your family so predominantly, you know, even more so it's a possibility. Right. But I didn't take it too seriously in that, it's not that I didn't take it seriously, but when I had first, I had had a mammogram when I was 40, which I didn't think breast cancer itself was a big issue in my family. So I didn't think much of it. Went, had the mammogram. There were some questionable spots. I had had a biopsy, which hurt very much. And at that time it was their calcifications. You're okay. Not cancer. Come back in a year. So I thought, okay. So at 
when I had had that first questionable scan, I was so nervous. And then when I went back a year later, I almost actually forgot to make the appointment. I didn't even think of it other than I had had a sinus infection and I was at the doctor for a sinus infection and checking out. It was a close to that one year mark. I thought, oh, wait, I'm supposed to have, I'm supposed to have another mammogram. Let's get that on the calendar. But I wasn't I'm supposed to do a it. thing. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, you told, and I, in the back of my mind, I heard, well, you told me to come back and sure I'll come back. And I'd had another mammogram and I really didn't think anything of it other than I'm checking the box. I'm doing, I'm doing what you're telling me to do. I almost mm-hmm. feel like this should go well because I'm being proactive and I'm doing, I'm doing the right things, so to speak. And sure enough, that came back that there were questionable spots. And I thought, Oh, okay. But still wasn't too worried because I thought, well, that happened last time too. It's fine. And had another biopsy, which hurt again is a, for me, at least it was very uncomfortable procedure. I don't like needles at all. And it's a big, big, big needle. And then maybe a day or two later, then I got the call that there is cancer and it, it was, it shouldn't have, I don't know if shocking is even the right word. Cause I knew there was a possibility. I just wasn't, I still wasn't expecting it and having that kind of dodged it the first time thought I would dodge it again, but I didn't. Okay. So now for each person who, who deals with breast cancer and from what I, from what I understand, because uh, I've talked with several people who have had it and, and everybody's story is different. Uh, and not only in um, how they discovered they had breast cancer, but uh, you know, then there's the, the length of the, the battle, you know, the, the extent that, that they have to go in order to beat the cancer. So if you don't mind to the depths of which you're comfortable, would you walk us through your story, your fight a little bit? How long was your fight? What did you have to do in order to, to beat the cancer uh, and, and so forth? So I started, sure. And I'm happy to share all of it. So I think part of why it's so different for every person is how much, how much cancer do you have? Which sounds like an odd question, but it's like, you have cancer and you know, you could have a lump and then a lump can be removed. You could have it spread throughout your body. And that's at least my very basic understanding of it. So I had had the biopsy. Yes. We confirm it's a cancer. Okay. Has it spread? That's when you do a scan and sure enough, it had spread. It had spread into my lymph nodes. So that's when the decision to have chemotherapy and radiation came in along with those tests, my, the surgeon had encouraged me to do genetic testing because you can have your blood tested to see if you're more likely or less likely to get other kinds of cancers. So I did went, visited the genetic counselor, had some blood drawn. It took weeks. It took a long time for those tests to come back. That was the longest, the longest waiting period were those tests. And sure enough, I am positive for what's called the check two mutation, which I had never heard of. I had, I think BRCA is, and I don't even know if that's how everyone says it, but BRCA, I think a lot of people know that because there have been some celebrities that have spoken about that. And I think it got some some name recognition, whereas check two, I didn't really know what it meant, but it means I am more likely to have cancer in, again, in the other breast or in my colon, in my ovaries, 
So to have those kinds of cancers. So I knew I was more likely. So given those, we went on a more aggressive treatment plan than some people might have. So I had had, I had a double mastectomy. So I chose to remove both of the girls, as some people will say, and I did not choose to have reconstructive surgery. So I had had the surgery and then I had, which did I first, I had to think for a second, I had the chemo first. So I had chemotherapy for about five months. And after that, I had a little bit of rest and then I had six weeks of radiation. Oh, wow. Yeah. And that's aggressive. It was, yeah, I would agree. It's definitely, I think it's, again, everything is different for everybody. I think it's more aggressive than some people I know who have had this kind of cancer, but it's probably, I'm sure less aggressive than other people, but it was what my oncologist recommended. And it still shocks me in a way that when we met, this was June of 2018, that I sat down with the oncologist to say, what's a treatment plan? And it was these specific drugs. It was there were three together and then two together and had it all planned. And we never deviated from the plan. The plan that we set in June carried through the whole time. So I give my oncologist a lot of credit. He knows what he's doing. That's awesome. And then I was on another drug called Herceptin, which it's not, it's not a chemotherapy. It's a monoclonal antibody. So I was on that for another, I'm going to say almost seven, nine months, but it wasn't, and it was still given to me like I had chemo. It was still accessed through my port and I still went to the clinic once every three weeks, but if I didn't have side effects and my hair grew back. So it wasn't, I had this like long end of treatment, but when I actually finished all the really, really hard things, February, but then I didn't have my port out until the following September after I had all those months of that antibody. Okay. Now, some others that I have talked to that have experienced chemotherapy and radiation, which uh, I'll be honest with you, up until last year, uh, I, apparently I was pretty naive. I didn't realize that those were two separate things. I always thought chemo or radiation was something that was interchangeable, and those are completely separate treatments. Um, but for, for you, what was the, the reaction of your body to both chemo and radiation? How did, how did your body handle it? I would say overall, I handled both pretty well, but there were definitely different side effects. So my, the chemotherapy, the the biggest side effect was losing my hair. I am, I am a very vain person and I'm willing to admit it. I like having hair and it was really, really hard not having hair. I, I disliked just the fact part besides the vanity of how you look, but just being cold all the time and freezing because I'm used to having hair down the, down my neck. It's almost like you have your own scarf. And so when you don't have that, you're cold all the time. <laughs> so not having hair, um, foods didn't taste the same. So some of my favorite things just tasted terrible. I did need two blood transfusions. I had never had a blood transfusion before, but two times during those five months, my counts had dropped low enough and you're at a risk of major infection and things like that. So when they say, you should, you should get, you should refresh your blood. I said, okay. So I had never had a blood transfusion before, but I had two during chemotherapy. Then fast forward to radiation during it, it was actually fine. Like I really didn't feel any side effects. And I went every day for six weeks. It was so short. I was 
traveling to radiation longer than I was actually in radiation. It was maybe not even 15 minutes a day. So it was quick. Went and each week I saw the radiation oncologist and I kept not having side effects and say, how are you doing? And anything new? No. And near the end, I thought, Ooh, am I going to get away with no side effects? Uh, no, that's not going to happen. She said, you'll have some, <laughs> they'll just, maybe you'll, they'll be milder. And I thought, mm, okay. I'm like, sure. Cause a lot of it is just managing your expectations. And I'd rather, I'm glad she told me that partly to just manage my expectation, but also because my side effects really didn't happen until after maybe even a week after my last radiation appointment. So if I hadn't known that that was a possibility, I would have definitely panicked a lot more like, whoa, why am I having these side effects now? But I knew that that was a possibility. And sure enough, it was about a week after I finished. So I was completely done. I wasn't going anymore. It felt like the worst. No, it didn't feel like the worst. It felt worse than the worst sunburn I'd have ever had in my life. It was basically, it's as if you're having, I don't know, second or third degree burns or something. And oh, wow. it just felt like my skin was on fire. And I would rotate putting aloe and I think aquaphor on just rotating, trying to just feel a little bit of relief. And it didn't help much. I mean, yeah, it just felt like my skin was on fire. And but it lasted for maybe, I don't even know, a week or two. It didn't last that long. And then it went away. And now if I looked at my skin there, I would, did, wouldn't even know that I'd had radiation that definitely healed. And I don't know if it's part, I'm sure part of it's luck. And maybe some of the lotions and soothing things helped a little. I don't know. But okay. they came after the fact, which was a surprise. But luckily for my oncologist telling me, it wasn't a complete surprise. Good. I like that you brought out managing expectations. I think that sometimes when, when people are dealing with different things in their lives, um, you know, it's, it's easy for us to, to kind of uh, either over accentuate the positives and, and, and really focus on those and, and make those our hopes, our goals, or we can kind of, you know, we, we have one of two paths. We very rarely do we, do we, you know, uh, choose the middle. We either over accentuate the positives or we over accentuate the negatives. Um, but I think it's really good. Uh, can you give us an example, though, of where, of where in a way that you manage your expectations other than through your oncologist? Hmm, that's a great question. I think it's trying to take it one day at a time and not let my brain spiral, which is a challenge for me because my brain does tend to spiral sometimes. And thinking, okay. I, you know, like shortly after the diagnosis, it's oh my gosh, I'm not going to live much longer. Maybe I only have six months to live. What am I going to do with my life? Should I do this? Should I do that? And just spiral. That's, that's me spiraling. And I'm very, very grateful. I have lovely friends, but I have one specific best friend. We talk every single day. I am. And I know that as an adult, not everyone has that. And I'm so, so fortunate to have her in my life. She knew about the diagnosis before my husband did. And it just worked out that way because she asked. And we talk a lot. And I think when I get into the when I might want to go down the rabbit hole and the spiral, she can kind of pull me back and be like, hold on, but also give me space. I think that's one thing that I appreciate from friends who they don't, I don't like toxic positivity at all. I think it is, it's an awful, awful thing. I think positivity itself is good, but I think the idea of it's not so bad and you'll be fine and all things happen for a reason 
mm, I think those are yeah, no, kind of garbage you. and I don't like them at all. <laughs> no, no, thank, thank you. you. So having someone just say, oh, this is awful. I'm, and just let you even sit with that and yeah. sitting with my feelings as opposed to trying to stay positive and stuff the feelings down because they're going to come out in another way if you right. deny yourself. So I also work with a therapist. She's amazing. We talk pretty much every other week and we have for years. So she helps me a lot. But there was a time a few weeks ago, I was having a moment. I was just really upset. I don't even remember what I was upset about because I don't think it matters. But however you feel, just let yourself feel it. And I was so sad. And I talked to her the next day and telling her how upset I was. And she asked what I did. And so I wanted her feedback. And I said, well, what do you think I should have done from a mental health perspective? And then I'll tell you what I did. And her advice was basically allow the feelings to come Allow you know, whatever mm -hmm. you're going to feel, feel and moving along. Yeah. And I said, oh, well, I think I did that because not only did I just accept, I really, really own them so much that I turned on a playlist that was something like sad love songs from movies. Oh boy. Yeah. <laughs> and just, I just cried. I just turned on this music and sat in the chair near my computer and just cried for a while. And then, and then I got back to work. Well, sometimes you got to do that. You got to, you got to allow it to come out. Um, mm -hmm. I, I uh, I, I heard somebody call it once you, you call it toxic positivity and, and that isn't an, an absolute, uh, accurate way of describing it. I heard somebody call it once though, the, uh, the, the, uh, positivity umbrella that they didn't want somebody mm -hmm. else's positivity umbrella because it blocked them from being able to experience and, and feel their emotions. Um, I love that. Yeah. So same, same basic concept, but, uh, you know, I, I think that, uh, you know, the thing is that most of the people who do that they genuinely mean well. They just don't know what to say in the moment. You know, they think that they're being helpful. They, they think that they're being uh, assistive to whatever uh, situation you're going through. Um, you know, when, when my daughter was in, in the hospital for her hospital stay uh, uh, in 2019, uh, you know, we were in there for 97 days. And, and during that portion of the, of the hospital stay, you know, we had a lot of people go, oh, it'll be over soon. Don't worry about it. You'll be, you'll be back to normal before you know it. And when you're in the middle of, of this, these health situations, you know, that's not the help that you want. It's not the help that you need. It's, it's the, the false positives, the false positivities that, uh, that really are, are almost as bad as hearing negative news sometimes in, in all reality. I completely agree. Mm -hmm. So yeah. So yeah, that just, when you were, as you were talking about some of the things that, that you had done and that just kind of made me think of that, you know, but okay. So back to you. Uh, <laughs> so I, I, I I'm glad we got to hear a bit about you and your daughter. I love it. <laughs> I'll do that from time to time. You just, but yeah. Um, so I was, I was thinking about something that you had, you had mentioned earlier. Now you had, you opted for the, the double mastectomy without the reconstructive surgery. For many of the women that I've talked to who have had breast cancer, the thought of not having the reconstructive surgery was difficult for them because they felt that it was part of their identity to, to be a female, to be a woman and have breasts. What was your thought process going in and out of that, that situation? I completely understand. And I can empathize with those women for sure. And your identity is your identity for me. 
my decision came really came down to the meeting with the plastic surgeon. So I did meet with a plastic surgeon throughout the whole process. I was very much, a, I wouldn't say rule follower, but if my doctor said, do this, do this, do this, I would say I just listened completely blindly and listened to everything, but I'd at least take it under advisement. So my oncologist, you know, okay, let's do this test. Now let's do a PET scan. Now let's do another scan. Now we'll do this. And we just one to the next to the next to the next. And one of their suggestions after I decided on the double mastectomy because of that genetic mutation, which was, I think, a smart decision. And I think my surgeon and oncologist agreed with that. And then they said, okay, now you can meet with the plastic surgeon. So I met with a plastic surgeon and knowing very little about my options, I kind of had a rough idea. Well, I'm going to either have reconstructive surgery or not. And sat down with her. And the one option was to take some of your, for some women, you could take some of the fat from other places in your body and then use that to kind of reconstruct. And I was sitting down and I had just had a gown and I think I had leggings on because I always wear leggings and, but nothing on top. And she looked at me and then I'd open the, the gown and she just kind of shook her head. And it was basically, that's not an option for you. I thought, oh, Okay. So my only option was implants. So that's also a big factor in what your choices are. Or is it implants? Is it fat moving? There's a better medical term that I don't know, but depending on what your surgery is going to look like. So for me, it was implants or no implants. That's what my decision was based on the meeting with the plastic surgeon. And then we went on to talk about it. And I, the plan was to do the surgery. So the mastectomy then chemotherapy, then radiation. And she had said, I'm not going to do, if you want implants, I won't do them until maybe six months after you're done with radiation, which I understand because she, you know, let's be real there. It's a, a vein, not a vein thing to want breast, but it's a vein and that is an appearance kind of thing. The plastic surgeon is going to want your results to look the best they can be and to do implants and then have chemo and then have radiation, especially maybe they wouldn't look as good. So, and she flat out said, you can look for another doctor who would do this, but I won't. And I thought, well, uh, if this is your wise advice, I'm not going to try and go find someone else to do whatever. That doesn't seem like a good idea. Seems It seems logical though. The, the advice oh, that she had given very it much makes so. complete sense to me. Right. Because the radiation was on my chest wall. So if I had had implants, I'm sure the radiation would have affected how they looked. How could they not? So sure. again, that her plan made perfect sense to me. So here I am thinking, oh, so i had had my surgery in June and I was going to have, I would have had surgery for implants probably the following June. And I'm thinking, hmm. And I went back and forth a lot. I actually had a list of like flat and fabulous versus implants. And I wrote things on the list, you know, and there were things I liked maybe about being flat and things I liked about implants. And I, I actually, I could still probably find in a notebook if I tried that I had a specific list. I messaged friends a lot back and forth. Well, I think I want to do this. And then the next day, no, no, I think I want to do that. And so I'm glad I didn't have to make the decision immediately. I had a little bit of time. But knowing that the surgery for my implants would have been the following summer, I really think that's what made my final decision. Because if it had been a surgery with no chemotherapy and no radiation, and they could do 
reconstructive surgery immediately because a lot of women do have that option that they can do reconstructive surgery basically almost like at the same time that they're right. doing the mastectomy. But that wasn't my case. It was going to be the next summer. And I'm thinking, wait a minute. So I'm going to go through all of this. I'm going to have chemo. I'm going to have radiation. I'm going to heal. And then I'm going to spend my summer in more surgeries. Uh, mm, I don't think I want to do that. And I was right. I didn't want to do that. Summer was amazing. I had a fantastic summer of 2019. That would have been 2019. It was a great summer. And to think, and even now I'm thinking if I had been in surgery that whole summer, it wouldn't have been, it wouldn't have been as fun as summer. That's for sure. Well, that's great. I'm glad you were able to, to make a positive out of it. That's fantastic. It's, it's the thing I do in life best I can. Absolutely. And, and I'm thinking, oh no, maybe I'll just scrap this whole interview because the whole thing is focused on forward. And I've talked about being a survivor, but I also, I'm an honest person, sometimes to a fault. So I need to be honest and say that my cancer is back. So I'm actually in treatment again. So I'm in this weird spot to say, well, I am a survivor because I did survive it before, but I'm also now in treatment again. So, and we could talk okay. about that or not. Sure. No, let's do it. So how long have you, how long ago was the second diagnosis? Oh, not even, hmm, let's see, six months ago, about six months ago. Six months. Okay. So I can talk about how the, how I got to that diagnosis. Yeah. If you like. Go for it. Yeah, please go for so, it. So I had regular blood work checks, standard operating procedure. As far as my doctor went great, fine by me. And I had had blood work, had blood work. Everything was fine. So it seemed, you know, that I was in permission. Everything was going well. The fall of 2020, I was starting to have more and more back problems. My back was hurting and I'm not someone who usually has back problems. I was seeing a chiropractor and the chiropractor was helping, but then it got to the point where the chiropractor wasn't helping and it wasn't great. And so in April of 2021, I had a blood work appointment, normal on the calendar and had blood work. And the funny thing is that blood work was normal even still, but then my oncologist who I, I love him, not in a weird, not in a romantic way. He's married. You. Yes. He saved my life and his special place in my heart. So being just the good human he is, he asked, you know, Hey, how's it going? How else is, you know, what else is new? I said, Oh yeah, my back's hurting all the time. Like it was no big deal because right. I didn't make any kind of connection. Cause I just thought, Oh, my back hurts. It's the pandemic. I'm sitting more. Maybe I'm getting a little older, which I didn't like that idea, but all logical though, all logical, but to him, that was definitely a red flag about, whoa, whoa, whoa. Okay. Let's, let's do an MRI. And unfortunately, and I'm still a little bitter, but I'm, I've worked through it somewhat. The insurance, my insurance uh, company denied it. So they would not let, they would not approve the MRI to check to see if I had cancer. So instead I had to jump through a couple hoops and I had to have a bone scan and a bone X-ray, both showing things like, Hmm, this might be something you need to look into more. So then I had to have the MRI anyway. It was just maybe six weeks after when my oncologist wanted to do it. So I'm not so grateful to insurance for that, but I am grateful overall that I have insurance to help me through this journey. So about six weeks later, had the MRI, sure enough. And I think as I was waiting through that time, I kept thinking this is more and more likely to be cancer again. He, you know, I'm working closely with my oncologist. He isn't just having me do an MRI for fun. So I kind of had some time to work up to that possibility. 
had the MRI, then had a PET scan. Sure enough. Oh, yep. We see some spots. And then, but to confirm, we have to do a needle biopsy. So I did a biopsy. This one actually wasn't as bad, surprisingly. Maybe it's just because I'd had two others. It, it still hurt, but not in the same way. And it was in a different spot of my body. So the biopsy then was in my liver because there were a few spots that showed up in the scan that were in my liver. So we did the biopsy. And sure enough, after the biopsy, they said, my oncologist said, yes, it's definitely cancer. So it had metastasized. So now technically my new, not new diagnosis is metastatic breast cancer. So it has metastasized and I have three spots in my liver and a spot in my chest wall. And then there was a tumor growing around my spine, which is why I was having so many back problems, but I just oh, didn't boy. know that. Okay. okay. So we All dove right. right into treatment very quickly. In fact, we we, because I, I think of my oncologist and I as a team, we did radiation even before the results from the biopsy came back. And I thought, well, should we do the radiation? Even if I don't maybe have cancer, but number one, I think he knew I did. And number two, he was getting very nervous thinking if I'm right, which he was, if there was a tumor on my spine and it grew even more because he was asking me things, do you have are, are your feet tingling or your hands tingling? And so the thought being that if it had gotten worse, I could have been paralyzed. Oh yeah. yeah having, okay. having a tumor grow on your spine, not good. So sure enough, I just did five days of radiation and before the radiation and during my back was hurting so bad that it hurt to sleep. If I rolled over in my sleep, it hurt. I mean, and that's mm. not like me. I know some people have lots of back problems all the time. That is not typical for me at all. I'm usually very active. I like to move. And the idea that I was in pain while I slept, not good. So sure enough, did five days of radiation. And then, and it didn't work right away. But then maybe, I don't know, a week later, all of a sudden I thought, oh, my back doesn't hurt. It was so weird because I had just become so used to the back pain had just become part of my life. And then I thought, wait a minute, my back doesn't hurt right now. So <laughs> kind of confirmed that it did what it was, the radiation did what it was supposed to do. And then okay. we dove into chemotherapy and once again, a different amount and different kinds of drugs than I'd had the last time. So it's been interesting going through it a second time that some of the things and the feelings are the same, but then some are different partly because I'm a different person than I was then, but also then sure. some of the medications are different. So I'm not going to have the same side effects, okay. but some of them might be. So. so how, how are you in the, where, or where are you in the process with this now? So I finished, I had four rounds of a pretty intense chemotherapy regimen two no, three drugs that were pretty intense. I lost my hair. So, and I knew that would probably happen again. And it was hard again and lost taste much sooner. So that's been, that's been a bigger struggle. Well, no, the hair, the hair and the taste, because I got to this point where I just didn't want to eat anything because nothing tasted good. And I'm sure. usually a person who loves to eat. Like, I love to eat this and it tastes so good. And I enjoy my food. And now it was either things tasted bad or they just tasted okay, but nothing really tasted good at all. So that was a struggle. And I needed fluids once because there was just this one treatment that hit me the hardest and I could barely, I couldn't keep anything down. I could barely walk. I have a master bathroom and I could barely walk from my bed to that bathroom mm -hmm. and I wasn't getting better. So I finally had fluids given to me, which was super helpful. So I'm glad that happened. And now we've switched to 
a different two drugs. And my hair started growing back a little bit. So that's a, pretty exciting. And so it's a chemotherapy, but it's a target, targeted chemotherapy. So somehow, because I'm thinking, how can my hair be growing back if I'm still in chemo? But I guess it's a different kind of chemo. And I, I joked with my sister-in-law and said, I guess I'm on chemo light now. So <laughs> I don't hey. know. Like it is chemo, but yet my hair is growing back. My energy is good. I feel if I didn't have, if I didn't go in every three weeks, I almost might forget that I have cancer. Cause like, as of right this minute, right now, today, I'm not having the side effects. The food still, the food part is still the case, although that's starting to come back. So some things taste okay, but Excellent. it's not like it used to be. And now we're just kind of in a holding pattern and that we'll do this. We might do this quote chemo light, as I like to call it for maybe eight months, nine months. Okay. And then I'm just going to be checked in the interim and see, and if it, if things keep going well, then great. And if they don't, then we look at other things because then maybe a clinical trial, maybe a different kind of medication. It's very, that's one, that's the biggest difference this time is that it's not, the plan isn't set in stone. And I know the plan could have changed last time. It just didn't happen to that when he set, my oncologist set that very first schedule of treatment it was done. That's what we did. And we followed it to the letter. Now it's a lot more. I don't know. We'll see. See how it goes. Okay. So I I have to say for somebody who's, who's fought and beat cancer once and is fighting cancer a second time, you are an incredibly upbeat person. And it just, I love your positivity. Honestly, you have, um, and unfortunately, this is one of those instances where I kind of wish that sometimes this was a video show and that people could see the smile on your face as you talk. And, but I think they hear it in your voice and I'm sure they'll hear it in your voice because you have this, just this air of positivity around you. That's, that's amazing. And I, and I absolutely love it. But in the, even as positive as, as you seem to be clearly you're, you're dealing with things on the mental health side with a, with a therapist and that's helping you. Um, it sounds like, and it looks like, but how do you, and this is where we make the transition, how do we continue to be focused on forward? How do you move forward with everything that you have going on, even though you're in the thick of another battle? That's a great, great question. I think it's just every day choosing to make the best of that day. And, and some days that's a lot harder than others. Like today, mm-hmm. I feel, I feel pretty great physically and I could eat my breakfast and all of these things. So today it's easier. So the days that it's harder, I might crawl into a hole a little bit, or I might spend a portion of the day crying. And I think I'm better off doing those things because I'm more likely to come back the next day and feel a little better rather than if I deny myself and just everything's fine. Everything's fine. Everything's great. You know, not everything's great. So Yeah. Just trying to take it one day at a time, lean on. I have a lot of really, really wonderful people in my life and leaning on them and letting myself lean on them, which that's hard for me because I'm fiercely independent to a fault sometimes. And I want to just do everything myself and take care of myself and do it all without anybody's help. But knowing that the people who want to help, it helps them actually, which that was a yes. good mental shift for me that if somebody is offering to help you, they want to, 
and it probably is going to fill their cup to be helping you. So to deny them of that, it's almost like you are hurting them. So if someone is wanting to help or just be there for you one way or another, to accept that. And one of my friends said, let the people love you. So I thought, okay, sure. <laughs> I'm getting one, better at it. That was one of the lessons that we had to learn uh, while my daughter was in the hospital as well, was that we had people coming from all around wanting to to bring us food and wanting to travel to visit and want to, and we, and we always felt so bad because we lived an hour. Some of the friends, our friends lived an hour to an hour and away, hour and a half away, rather, excuse me, from the hospital that we were at. And they were, you know, family wanted to come from two hours away and so forth. And I was always like, Oh, we'll be fine. Don't worry about it. And, you know, uh, and we had somebody tell us a very similar thing. Just, just shut up. Let, (laughs) let the people come, let them share, let them, let them show their love. And I was like, oh, okay, fine. Boss mm-hmm. me around. Uh, <laughs> exactly. But when you're in, when you're in a position, uh, you're dealing with a, with a health situation, um, even though, you know, it wasn't me in dealing personally with the health situation. It was my daughter dealing with it for my daughter. It, it's still hard to let somebody else in because you have this very tight, closed bubble, right? you know, around mm-hmm. you and, 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 and what's going on and who's coming in and who's allowed in and, and why they're allowed in. And it gets, it was very hard for me to kind of like, I felt like I was flinging the doors open and just saying, okay, fine, you can come in. And that was hard for me because I didn't want to do that. But so I, I get what you're saying about that. That's, that resonates very closely, very close to home for me. Um, but yeah, so I, I'm, I'm glad that you had, have the opportunity to uh, allow yourself a down day. And I'm glad that, that that's part of your part of your uh, regimen. It needs to be. Um, it has to be. And, well, I feel like you can't. I and personally, I don't think you can escape them. The idea no. of I'm just never going to have a bad day. Mm, I find that unlikely. You're, and, you're, just, you're just postponing. Right. Exactly. And until a time when you don't be, want it to come up. <laughs> and it might be so much worse if you try and step it down and no, 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 not today. Not today. There'll be a day. And then it's a whammy. Uh, yeah. I understand that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, okay. So yeah, you, you have an amazing story here and not just because it's, it's a, a second go around with cancer and not because it's, I, I I'm more intrigued with who you are and what you are and, and the, the strength that you've displayed and, de- and not only dealing with it once, but how you're dealing with it twice. And um, I just find it very impressive. And so thank you for sharing your story here with us today. Um, I have two questions, though, I have to ask you because I ask these of every single guest that have ever been on our show. So here we go. Question okay. number one. What is the greatest lesson that you have learned over the course of your life? The greatest lesson. Feel all the feelings. I keep talking about that. And I think that's the greatest, greatest lesson to feel everything. Okay. I like that. Very, very appropriate for your story as well. Right. Okay. Uh, And the second question, which is not too dissimilar from the first question. Uh, is what is the greatest piece of advice that you've been given? 
I will go back to what I already said. Well, do you want me to say something different or can it's I repeat you. This myself? Is your, this is your story. I'm going to go back to let them love, let the people love you. Okay. Because I think it is very, very wise advice. And I think if you're like me, you might need to hear it a second time. Or three in our case. <laughs> or three. <laughs> so if you have people in your life who want to help you, want to show you love in whatever way that they can show you love, let them. That's awesome. Okay. Now, uh, before I let you go, I understand as well that you're, you're an author and you have written a book. So uh, if you would, please tell us quickly about your book and where people can find it. Sure. I will tell you the title of my book because I feel it sums it up pretty well. It is From Queens to Queens, How the Madison Drag Community Saved My Life. Okay. And it is about my journey through cancer and some others that I went through. So you have to read the book. So if you think, oh, cancer, that's enough. There was cancer. And then there were some other things that also happened while I was fighting cancer that were challenging. And this unexpected group of people, this community of drag queens and kings and burlesque performers in Madison, Wisconsin, were there for me in some of my lowest times. And the book's really like a love letter to them saying, thanks. Thanks for being there for me when things were terrible. Okay. And where can people find that at? I will give you my website title because that way you can get it at multiple different retailers. And it's ydysweets.com, which is just ydysweets.com. All right. Very good. We'll put that down in the show notes so that people can go find you, your website, and uh, have an opportunity to take a look at that book as well. Jamie, thank you so much for being on Focused on Forward. Thank you for coming here and sharing your story. It's, uh, uh, I wish you nothing but, but the best. Thank you so much for having me and for the well wishes, Tim. I appreciate them both. Excellent. All right, guys, that's going to conclude us today for Focused on Forward. Well, that concludes another episode of Focused on Forward. To be a guest of Focused on Forward, you can reach us through Twitter at podcastfof through our Facebook page named Focused On Forward or through email focusedonforward at gmail.com. We look forward to hearing each and every one of your stories that has yet to be told. So until then, be safe, be kind, and be loving to one another as you stay focused on forward.